seminaries, places where men study for the priesthood, have a relatively recent origin in the church. It wasn't until the Council of Trent in the 1500s that a seminary education became a universal requirement for aspiring priests. Before that, men trained for the priesthood as a kind of apprenticeship, simply serving in a parish church until they were deemed ready for ordination. Still, given that seminaries have existed in their present state for almost 500 years, you would think that the program would be pretty well set. For those many centuries, there was a sense that priestly formation rested upon three pillars. First, forming men intellectually, giving them knowledge about different areas of theology and related disciplines like philosophy, language, and history that they would need in their priestly ministry. Second, forming them spiritually, making sure they were men of prayer and devotion. And third, pastoral formation, seeing to it that they were capable of giving sacramental and spiritual care to those who they are sent to minister to. That would seem to cover all the bases. There wouldn't, be, there wouldn't seem to be too many tweaks that one could add to that broad framework. But Holy Mother Church recognizes the reality Ecclesia Semper Reformanda. The church is always in need of reforming. She is always always seeking to form herself anew in the image of Christ. The church does so authentically by delving deeply, more deeply, into the mystery of Jesus Christ. Because the Christian faith is encapsulated in the person of the incarnate Christ, who is both God and man. By the incarnation, Christ reveals God to us. He reveals the triune reality of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, totally united as the one true God. But there is something else that Christ's incarnation reveals. The person of Jesus reveals the mystery of man to himself. He gives us a glimpse of what a human person is truly meant to be, because Christ was was without sin. He is the exemplar of humanity. And so theology, the study of who God is, goes hand in hand with true anthropology. Not anthropology, the social science, which is merely the study of human culture. But anthropology is the study of what man is in himself as a physical and spiritual being. So it was in 1990 that Pope John Paul II dropped a kind of bombshell in the lap of the church. He issued the encyclical Pastores Dabovobis which is Latin for, I will give you shepherds. The encyclical was about the reform of seminaries, something that the church had been struggling with in prior decades. In it, John Paul wrote, in order that his ministry might be as humanly credible and acceptable as possible, it is important that the priest mold his human personality in such a way that it becomes a bridge and not an obstacle for others in meeting Jesus Christ, the redeemer of humanity. John Paul thus asserted that there are not only three pillars of formation, intellectual, spiritual, and pastoral, but a fourth, human formation, and that this pillar is really the most important because it is the foundation for the other three. Because, he said, before a man can seek excellence in intellectual, spiritual, or pastoral terms, he must possess genuine human mastery and maturity. The reason I bring this up is because today's gospel along with some other passages that I will mention, help us to understand that for all persons, 
whether priests or religious or laity, spiritual maturity rests on a bed of human maturity. Spiritual or theological virtues cannot exist except when supported by genuine human virtues. The church recognizes that the human virtues do not rest upon the faith per se. Yes, faith does elevate them. But from her earliest days, the church fathers spoke of the virtues of the pagans, or what we now call the natural virtues, meaning the basic human virtues that do not depend upon Christian religious conviction or even the grace of baptism. Plato and Aristotle spoke of four cardinal virtues, prudence, justice, temperance, and fortitude. They were called cardinal, which means a hinge, because they were thought to be the hinge upon which human excellence swung. The church, in her wisdom, incorporated these cardinal virtues into Christianity as the basis of ethics and moral theology. In addition to today's gospel reading, there are three other major parables in which Jesus employs the image of a master and servant as an example of what he's talking about. In each of these four, Christ relates a story loaded with theological meaning, yet each can also be understood as a lesson about the importance of one of these four cardinal virtues. First, recall the parable of the dishonest steward. This was the man who, knowing he was going to be removed from his position as his master's chief steward, voluntarily gave up the commissions that he was owed by his master's tenants. He did this so that when he was removed from his position, the tenants of his master would welcome him into their homes. He demonstrated the virtue of prudence, being able to rightly judge that the value of the commissions that he would collect from the tenants in the short run was worth less than the value of their gratitude in the long run. Next, we have the parable of the laborers in the vineyard. The master of the vineyard paid each worker the same daily wage, despite the fact that he did not hire some until later in the day. He's showing the virtue of justice, and that the master was concerned that each man get at least the usual daily wage, even for less than a day's work, because he knew that the men needed the money in order to support themselves. Third, we have the parable of the unfaithful servant. This was the parable where the master went away and left his, his servant in charge of his household. So the servant, flush with his newfound authority, helped himself to the master's rich food and wine, and began to mistreat the lesser servants. His master returned and punished him severely. This shows the the importance of the virtue of temperance, by which we control our desire for sensual pleasures and other temptations. Finally, we have today's reading, the parable of the talents. The servant who buried the talent entrusted to him showed a lack of fortitude, which is the courage to persevere in the face of fear. The servant found out that his master was none too pleased with a man who was afraid to take any risks at all, even though the servant knew that this was what was expected of him. It's important to reflect upon the role of the four cardinal virtues in our lives. They are the bedrock of our human character. And just as they are important for priestly ministry, as seminarians learn from John Paul II, they are also an an important aspect of our ability as laymen and women, to be credible witnesses to the faith and effective evangelists in our modern world. No one will be interested in emulating the faith of a person who is not at least a good example 
of basic human character. Further, we often have a tendency to overanalyze our sins and failings, to imagine that there is some kind of complicated spiritual reason for them. But very often they are simply failures to exercise the most basic patrimony of the human person, the natural virtues of prudence, justice, temperance, and fortitude. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.